Hey everyone, welcome back to a bonus episode of Both Sides Now. So for the final episode, Finn and I thought we'd have a chat, just the two of us, about kind of what we've learned throughout the podcast. Obviously, we've interviewed some incredible people and we would do that and share it all with you. So we're going to start by uh, beginning with who was our favourite interview and why. So Finn, if you want to kick it off with that. Um, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's been a pretty amazing series we've been a part of. Uh, met, had some amazing conversations around New Zealand with some awesome politicians. And yeah, I guess um, there's a couple of key reflections here, even I'm keen to share. And yeah, this first one, the the, the favourite interview for me was Jim Bolger. Um, although obviously former National Prime Minister, he, um, he you know, shared the same sentiment as me on what are the two biggest issues of our time being inequality and climate change. And was also pro-capital gains tax and um, I just really liked his um, his sort of logical thought process. Uh, he was, you know, pretty pragmatic in a lot of what he was going about um, and just really enjoyed my conversation with him. And I guess he sort of epitomized a lot of the sort of general vibe we got from the podcast, which was, you know, even I sort of had this idea over, a, you know, over a few beers almost. And the next day I sent a bunch of emails out to politicians and, um it really just speaks to the access that we have to politicians in New Zealand. So at Jim Bolger's house, we were able to just go around. He was sort of offering us tea and to stay for lunch and stuff at his house. And we could have just been any Joe blogs off the street coming in for an interview. But um, so, yeah, I think that's uh, one of the one of the takeaways that I've had from the series was just how lucky we are in New Zealand with ease of access to our um, politicians. I think it's And Eve, who was who, who was your favourite interview? I was going to jump in there actually before you asked me that. So it's interesting you picked Jim Bolger. So he's obviously a former national prime minister. Would you vote for him being a traditional Labour voter yourself? Yeah, well, that's a key key question. I think, I mean, that, that's one of the things that even I've sort of been considering is that, you know, um, both of us are considering future careers in politics and would we always vote Labour or national? And for me, honestly, you know, I would have had to obviously had had a decent look um, at the election back back then, and you know, completely different landscape politically. But yeah, I probably would have considered voting for Jim Jim Bolger. I I, re I really liked him. Um, I mean, just uh, another aside, one of the big things he did, which was super unpopular at the time, was um, fun fun to Papa, even though the public sentiment was against him on that one. And what an amazing legacy that's been for New Zealand. Cool. And um, and your favorite interview, Eve. Uh, my favorite interview would have probably been to Uroff level. Uh, I think for me, mm. is that the times are changing so much around the treaty and around co-governance and around our relationship with Māori. And I think it was just super awesome to be able to have a conversation with someone about it who was so open. And he was really, obviously, I'm not Māori. Um, uh, grown up in a reasonably um, Māori town, but I very much have pretty ignorant to a lot of um, ways of Māori culture and Māori life and a lot of what they have sort of been through um, in the early days of them, of, the Europeans being in New Zealand and I think it was really insightful to sort of see a completely different worldview um in the Maori world beyond things and it's sort of a perspective that hadn't really been put to me and I think what really stood out in that discussion for me was when he was saying talking about the um Maori um and how you know with the treaty well we should actually be looking to try to figure out sort of how we can work more with Maori because at the end of the day when they agreed to the treaty that was them allowing Europeans into their country wasn't ever the other way around and I think maybe we've lost sight of that a little bit uh, and obviously you know in the next year or two I think with the co-governance stuff around three waters and potentially in the RMA there's going to be a lot more going on uh, and a lot of quite hard discussions to have but I think having people like to Uroff level who are prepared to actually educate 
non-Maori and, you know, answer questions that I, sometimes I do feel quite ignorant and want to, you know, some of the questions I ask, but he's, if you're keen to learn, he's keen to help. And I thought that was really, really helpful and, yeah, really insightful. Yeah, com- completely agree. One of my key takeaways from that is, you're right, there's definitely this conversation heating up in co-governance on in, in New Zealand and but defining what co-governance is because it can be two very different things one is maori is a proportion of population their representation is a proportion of population and the other is 50 50 and both those things are just almost completely completely different if we're talking about co-governance and you know tero flavel um said he wasn't sure you know depends on the situation and i think most people um so when when we are having this discussion about co-governance i think it's really important we know which one um which, which one we're talking about and i guess that you know the other thing um off the back of that is um when the treaty was first signed and we talked about co-governance um the demographics were completely split in New Zealand it was 80% Maori 20% um European and now it's you know completely flipped on its head so um that was an interesting dynamic to consider into that you know ratio when we're when we're thinking about co-governance yeah, absolutely. I think the big question is what is co-governance? Um, and to be honest, we also interviewed um Shane Jones and Matilda Tudor, and even I think they had slightly different views on co-governance as well. So I think that probably also a bigger overall um learning point yeah. I definitely had from the podcast series was that there's kind of not one Maori worldview. I think that because in the kind of in our European culture, we sort of have like we're in New Zealand, I guess not in Pakeha culture, we kind of have one sort of general worldview where I think it's very not very much not the case with Maori I think probably when just stop assuming they all think the same way and they all want the same thing so I thought that was quite an interesting takeaway I had from the series as well Mm. and so you've talked about some of the the, um well I guess New Zealand first Maori party you know go each go each way um materia terea um would you vote for any of those parties or the left left left-wing parties in the future do you think I don't think I could see myself voting for the Greens um <laughs> potentially the Maori party I think yeah I think I don't think they share dissimilar views I actually really like the fact that Tiroff level said that look he'll work with who's even in government because it's actually in the day mm. when you're in government you can achieve things and you know he Maori party like was formed out of labor MPs yet they spent um nine years working with the John Key led government and national and you know they achieved quite a lot for Maori so I'll probably potentially vote for um potentially vote for the Maori party New Zealand first, uh, who knows? <laughs> who knows? I don't really know what quite what they stand for. I don't know if they also always know what they stand for. I think Shane Jones was definitely a bit like wishy-washy, I felt like, on some of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And what do you think motivates these people to get into politics? I think there was definitely was an underlying sense of they do want to make uh, make a difference for people. Um, you kind of got that vibe across when you're talking to all of them. And obviously we were talking to ones that I guess had been very successful you know we're talking to former prime ministers former finance minister that sort of stuff so we're, we're talking to the ones at the very top top end but I think there's definitely very much a sense of giving back and giving for the community it's funny I was trying to think if there was any sort of common personality trait amongst all of the MPs I, and I'm kind of stuck a little bit on that one Finn did you sort of have any common personality traits you saw across all across the board but possibly not a common personality trait but um the one thing I did find with everyone is I mean, everyone thinks that they're highly logical or following common sense politics. Um, and so, I mean, it, it's sort of my least favorite campaign slogan when I see it out there. Well, you know, I'm, I'm bringing common sense to politics. Well, every single person thinks they're bringing common sense to politics. Um, and yeah, I guess it's, um, you know, Chris Hipkins, um, I, I think, said it really well that the more diversity of, you know, everyone... Um, 
has a different you know d- different way that they go about you know logic and coming up with decisions and and you know reaching conclusions and if we've got all all that that different type of decision making um processes in in politics in New Zealand where we're richer for it um but I guess it's being able to uh, being able to sort of um weld that together across the political spectrum in a way that brings the whole country forward is the key thing that perhaps we're still struggling with a bit um in New Zealand and, and definitely globally. Yeah, I think we're definitely still trying to figure out kind of how many diverse views we're happy to have in Parliament. You know, I think we're mm. still, obviously we've moved from first past the post to MMP. So first past the post, obviously there are only two major parties, National and Labour, and under MMP we've got a lot more. But I think we're definitely still kind of struggling to accept that there are different viewpoints. And I guess, you know, as I, said, I probably would never vote for the Greens, I don't think. Um, But I definitely think they add, you know, add a value and a viewpoint to Parliament. And I think sometimes they're incredibly liberal thinking on policies Whilst we're not necessarily ever going to go that far, I think it can kind of help shift and move the more conservative people slightly more to the centre on things. I think it kind of helps strikes that balance, having kind of like, don't want to call it the far left or the far right because I'm sort of associated with extremist groups, but, you know, you're more conservative, more liberal. You kind of sort of find a happy medium, I think, and I think that's where the country ends up being run and ends up being governed. Yeah, I can I completely agree, and I mean, I just thinking about David Seymour on the other side. I um I really like him. I think he's super logical. Um, comes up with some you know fantastic policy ideas. I disagree with pretty much ninety nine percent of what he says. Um, but I think he's a fantastic contributor to Parliament in New Zealand, and we're all better for um we're all better off for for having him there. Um, so yeah, I guess that's something that we've um we've agreed on that. And and you're right that you know um. It's not far right and far left. That's just the um the sort of balancing end at each side of the spectrum that's super important for us to find um the the spot in the middle. And I think that's possibly something that we, you know, I, I personally agree on, and I I think we have um, discussed you know throughout the podcast that ultimately the best place for New Zealand, even though we vote right or left of centre, typically the best place for New Zealand is right smack bang in in the middle. Um, and so yeah, that I mean that's something that. I really believe in and um yeah what are your, what are your thoughts on that yeah I think I completely agree I think you know everyone's obviously entitled to have their own opinions and whatnot but I think to have a sort of society that works and kind of I guess includes the most people you want to be in the middle because mm. I, I guess if you put voters on a bell curve right like you most voters are going to be sort of in that big chunk middle of the bell curve and I think obviously that middle of the bell curve is in you know in the middle of the political spectrum and if we end up going too far to the left or too far to the right I think you risk alienating a massive amount of people and a massive amount of voters I mean obviously you know to get elected you still got to have most of the people who are behind you but they say to win an election you've got to win the center and I think that kind of holds will hold tr- through true throughout time because at the end of the day um we never it's going to be pretty hard to sort of get behind a super conservative or a super liberal ideology I just personally don't see that's going to happen um, and so I think like to include the most people and have the kind of, I guess, have the most harmonized society, if you want a better phrase, having voters in the middle is kind of in politics in the middle is where we want to be. Mm. And so do, do we think um, elected politicians, and we asked a couple of people this and we didn't really get a definitive answer. Should our elected politicians do what voters tell them to or what they believe in? This was an interesting one because I remember Chris Hipkins said he said, oh, you know, democracy is not necessarily the most efficient form of government, but it's the fairest. Mm. And I thought that was an interesting comment because it's like, well, it really depends, I guess, how you view politics and how you view the world more generally, how you want the world to run. So I guess there's arguments for it both ways. I probably don't know where I sit on that. I think there's arguments for that, like you win, you win an election on a certain mandate to do what you 
said you're going to do. Um, but also, are you voting for party's policies or are you voting for sort of a broader ideology? Um, you know, so if you're someone who's tribal and you're always going to vote for the right, for example, then you're kind of voting for their sort of ideology around like lower taxes, personal responsibility, that sort of stuff. So even though you might not necessarily vote for a certain policy, can they still sort of implement those policies if they're in line with their philosophy? Um, yeah, I'm not 100% sure where I sit on that one still, to be honest. How about you? Yeah, it's 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 sort of crazy. And I'm, I'm the same. I'm not sure. And I think most people would say they're not sure, um, which is sort of crazy because it almost seems like um, the fundamental question behind politics, are elected leaders doing what the people tell them to do? You know, I guess it's sort of like the referendum, you know, is it um, pu public sentiment on different issues? Um, are we going with the majority or, uh, you know, are, are politicians doing what they believe is right, but what is in the majority unpopular? And I mean, there's a lot of cases in history, I think, of politicians making really brave, strong decisions that have been um, very um, un unfavourable um, pu publicly. So yeah, um, that's that's a really difficult one to to wrestle with. I think that's actually be quite interesting to see in the next, I guess, in the next year or so, because Three Waters is arguably something that's potentially not what the people have wanted. I guess I'm from the right, mm. so I'm going to say that. But there's quite a lot. Even the Greens voted against um the first, you know, the third reading of that first um Three Waters bill. So that's going to be, I think, quite interesting to see where that plays out, because arguably that maybe fits along that line of doing what they're not doing, not doing what they're elected to do. Um. But I think another thought I did have on this also is that, you know, businesses, the way a business run the private sector is always sort of being more efficient because you have that sort of top down, more dictatorial style of leadership. You have a CEO, CFO, whatever anyone kind of does as they say, you know, and so it gets things done more efficiently. Um, but is it, is it fair? You know, is it, is it particularly, is it as much enjoyable or do you have as much of a say if you're a worker in a big business with a CEO just telling you what to do? Or do we, is it as a, I guess, kind of a, middle-class person do we enjoy the fact that we have more of a say in politics and it is seen as being more fair just sort of some food for yeah thought. i guess this 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 is another key balance that um you know my, my dad often says um on some of this agricultural policy why don't we just get the you know the three or four smartest people in new zealand on this stuff get them in a room and just nut it all out in a day um and then but obviously the the um flip side of that coin is that there's poor consultation we lose a lot of really valuable views but we get things done a lot quicker um, and then at the other side of the spectrum, it's um, some of the sort of extended bureaucracy and consultation process that I think a bit of New Zealanders frustrated with at the moment. Um, and, you know, even I, I guess we've got a lot of friends in that Yopro industry and, and the you know, big four consulting and, um, you know, just hearing about some of the government spending on the big four, you know, they've made, they've made a huge amount of money off the government in the last four years. And, you know, for what sort of results, I guess. Um, so there's a bit of a balance between making, sure that we're doing um adequate consultation but making you know making sure that we are getting decisions and you know getting getting shit done quickly effectively yeah well it's i think you know it's, it's kind of the big issue we have at the moment you know like you see that you see roads that take years to build and it's because they you know there's been ages consulting on it and they're gonna gotta ask everyone's opinion um and it's i think you know it's probably like you know if if it's something that doesn't concern you, you're like, oh, hurry up and build it quickly because you don't really, if you don't care about it, I don't have an opinion. But when you've got mm. an opinion, you want to be heard. And I guess that's probably, I guess, the core of democracy. You know, people do have a right, have a right to be heard. Um, and so maybe we do just have to, I guess, you know, enjoy the, deal with the fact that it's not always going to be the most efficient. Um, but yeah, certainly interesting thing to think about and sort of is the most, probably the most efficient way to run a country probably isn't democracy, but do we want efficiency or do we want fairness in a society? 
Yeah, I guess like a lot of things we've found, it's not um, it's not a one or the other. Yeah. It's a you know right in the middle. Let's have a balance between fairness and efficient, <laughs> yeah. efficientness. And um, but you know I guess there's got to be a compromise to some extent going going either way. Um, but yeah, we've got to be content with that. Um, finding finding a middle ground, which I think we've done done really well through this podcast. Yeah, find a common sense approach, as many of our interviewees would tell us. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, so, so I guess something that's also interesting, having us having worked together, what, what's something that surprised you about, I guess, my politics um, from this spin? Yeah, um, I think there's been, yeah, there's been a, a couple. Um, I was I was actually really interested to hear that Teodoro Flavel was your favourite um, in, interviewee. Um, <laughs> I was definitely thinking it was going to be Jenny Shipley or Nikki Kay or, um, you know, they, they were they were fantastic or, or John Key. Um, where, where, have, you, have you got one for me? I think for you, I actually found that you're probably more right-wing on some things than you think you are. Um, I yeah. think on some of the economic stuff when we were um, discussing with Roger Douglas and um, some of the some of the, um, views around like education and stuff, and you're yeah, you were definitely quite, I thought, quite um, right-wing on that. I don't know if you're just playing devil's advocate or not, but I definitely got the vibe that you. I think economically, you do sit more um, in a conservative realm. I don't. I think I think that might be. Correct. Yeah, well, that's probably not that. Well, that's an interesting point. It's actually one of my sort of pet peeves politically is that people. People always say they're socially liberal and economically conservative. The majority of society says that. It's like, well, 50-50 are, you know, <laughs> socially and um socially liberal and socially conservative. And so no no one says they're socially conservative, right? Um, even though yeah, 50 doesn't, doesn't go up anyone nowadays, no. Yeah. Even though by definition, 50% of the population has to be on, you know, the conservative side of social policies. Um so but so so I feel bad about sort of trying to say this, but I actually do feel like I am economically quite conservative. Um, and just in terms of, I really believe in the free market, but um, our failure in the free market and, and capitalism, you know, I, I actually do believe in capitalism, but I think that we need to be accounting for externalities and striving for efficiency gains, as I've sort of talked about through the through the podcast and that we've failed to do those two things. So we've actually failed capitalism rather than capitalism failing us. So I actually do believe in that um, as a mechanism to distribute distribute wealth. But um, you can, you can yeah, I guess you can implement your billionaires policy if you ever get into politics. <laughs> yeah, well, that was I, I actually regret. There's a couple of things that I regret not asking John Key, and this was this was one of them. So this was a policy that I discussed with Eve, and that is, if anyone gets to a billion dollars, you get a certificate saying you've clocked capitalism. You can go home, <laughs> and you can't make any more money now. All that money goes to the government. So um, would you go for that, Eve? We could get bipartisan. Um, oh God, on that possibly. <laughs> uh, yeah because i think john key said that he reckoned it'd be quite cool to be a billionaire but i don't think you put the point yeah. about we don't need any more than a billion dollars um yeah but then i think i think you asked james shaw as well and james was like no of course we don't need billionaires <laughs> mm-hmm. do you think there's an optimum amount of income for someone to have like why a billion- I, I mean yeah this is an interesting one so I, I mean i think it's okay for someone to be earning 50 times what a nurse or a policeman earns if they're contributing 50 times more to society than a nurse or a policeman and there's very 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 few people in society who are actually contributing that much back to society um i mean you know let's take the average person on you know um 3 million a year who's a ceo are they really contributing um you know literally 60 times what a nurse does to society and the answer is probably probably no um, what what do you think about that? 
I don't know. I, I think that your point about contributing a hot water society is, is um, an interesting point because it's kind of like, <laughs> I guess it's probably the law student of me and me defining things, but what is what is contributing to society? Because we talked about during, you know, during the pandemic, who kept New Zealand you know, alive? It was the nurses, it was the teachers, it was supermarket workers, you know? Mm. And so potentially maybe a lot of us who do law and are CEOs of big businesses that make just lots of money, maybe we're not particularly um, that contributing that much to society anyway. Um, that's probably quite left wing of me to say that. Um, but yeah, I sort of think that that's, yeah, it's like interesting to think about is um, are they actually contributing more or what is a useful contribution to society in the first place? Um, mm. I think though, to be fair in general, I don't know if we want to put a cap on people's earnings because at the end of the day, you know, big businesses do employ lots of people. Um, you know, you look at um, Peter Beck with Rocket Lab. She's got a friend who works for him now and he's got employs hundreds of people. And obviously he's worth billions of dollars, um, but employs hundreds of people in Auckland from, you know, from janitors right through to top engineers. So I think that's also quite important to keep in mind is that they, they do still contribute to society in a lot of, in a lot of other ways. Mm. Yeah, that's an interesting one. We sort of talked on, you know, the, we, don't, we probably don't want to get into the full capital gains tax conversation <laughs> now and that, cause that's one way to sort of redistribute wealth from, um, from those really high net worth and in individuals. But um yeah, and 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 just looping back to sort of you know our opening question, um, and because a lot of this podcast was about identifying political philosophy, um, it it seemed like to me that most of the people actually, most of the politicians actually hadn't thought about their political philosophy. They didn't know most of them actually, you know, didn't even know the terms for you know libertarianism, um, et cetera, et cetera, all the different sort of ideologies and how they fit and interact together. They just all sort of said, oh, I just do common sense and just you know. It's agree with the policies that I like essentially. Yeah, I actually kind of don't mind that to be honest. I actually think we want mm. politicians to come in and bring sort of their life experience, and I think vote for stuff. God, there's common sense, but I think when you've had a bit of life experience, that you probably do just sort of see things and go, oh, that's actually just a really good policy, even though it's come from the other side of the political fence. You know, still going to vote for it because it kind of makes sense and would help a lot of people. Um, and so I actually quite like the idea that we sort of do people do kind of bring their own experience and they're not as philosophically driven because it allows for, I guess, a broader range of policies to be coming and people don't just turn down things because it comes to the other side. And I think we sort of, I've seen that a bit with, see that a bit with, I guess, opposition parties, they sort of will just oppose something for the sake of it because it's come from the other side of the political fence, you know, and the flag referendum was a classic example of that. Arguably most of the left would want to change the flag because they are way more likely to be um, support New Zealand becoming a republic, you know, than having, the monarchy yet they all kind of opposed the flag referendum because it was john key's idea so i sort of think opposing something on the grounds that it's come from another party and because your philosophy is just silly so i actually quite like that a lot of them don't have super strong political philosophies in that regard what are your thoughts on that yeah i i, I can completely completely agree um i mean yeah that was i mean just flag referendum as an aside that was one i was super gutted about i wish i wish we changed the flag um and that that john key interview obviously you know um we were sort of thinking hey how much is this how much legs is this podcast actually going to get are people going to listen to this stuff and i think thanks to john key dropping a um dropping a sort of bomb in there with trump and bolsonaro at the start that really get um you know um got us a few listens which was which was which was super cool i mean it's it it definitely seemed like in that you know we, we had a lot of really good um i guess banter with john off air about that um which to me and we we had a good discussion with him between the actual interview and between the speed round when he, when we asked him that question. So there was a bit of sort of background content to that question when he dropped Trump and Bolsonaro. And 
we didn't actually reflect a lot on it or think that was going to be the one that blew up because when I, I think because of that background conversation, but I mean, that's, you know, saying I would only vote right Trump and Bolsonaro included is probably, you know, something we're sort of against on this podcast, the fact that you'd exclusively vote right your whole life. But I don't actually think John was angling that so much. It was more just he was sort of having a bit of banter and that we'd sort of talked about this with him beforehand um, off air. And he said, oh, well, I better vote right because we've just had this conversation about you calling me out for only wanting to vote right. So I don't know if you saw it in the same way or... I, yeah, I think that's interesting because I think that he kind of sort of said, and I think if you listen to more than just the, the part of where he says I'd vote for Trump, if you kind of listen mm-hmm. to the next 10 seconds, he sort of said, not saying it would have been a good idea um, and not saying it kind of was implied that he wouldn't necessarily vote for him now, given all we know about him. But I did get a little bit of a vibe that he probably potentially would still vote, would have, like, was yeah. that he would always vote right. Um, I think that's but that, I think that's slightly different because if you'd listen to we asked Jenny Shipley the same question, obviously she's a former national prime minister, and she's like, No, I'd vote for Clinton. She actually said Bill Clinton's a friend of hers. Lol, that's kind of funny mm. just hearing about how President Bill Clinton's a, a friend of our, one of our prime ministers. Yeah. But you know, um, I sort of thought that there was definitely different approaches to it. I think John was definitely very set in the fact that he's a right wing voter, and it, yeah, he actually did know his political philosophy quite well, I thought. But there were others mm. who I think were more sort of fluid, and Jim Bold is another example, you know, he see that he's really good friends with the Clintons. Um, but then I also happen to know that John Cleese really good friends with um, former Prime Minister of Australia, Julia Gillard, who was a Labour Prime Minister. So, yeah, I think mm. it definitely was quite interesting that I did not expect that Donald Trump coming to blow up because also, like, he's not, I don't know, it, it just surprised me because John Cleese not you're not Prime Minister anymore. You know, it could have been more surprising if he was still Prime Minister. But, yeah, it was definitely surprising. Yeah, for sure. Oh, well, I, I just thoroughly enjoyed the series. Yeah, looking forward to... um hopefully a couple of big profile interviews next year leading up to the election we'll we'll see how that goes but um yeah keen to keen to keep engaged with everyone who's tuned into us so far and yeah really appreciate everyone who's um who's listened to to the end here yeah also and yeah say thanks to all our listeners um it has been a lot of fun i've traveled all around the country met some incredible people um yeah and as fin said at, at the start the access has been incredible we've been to you know former prime minister's houses like I don't really think there's anywhere else in the world you could do that. So we are super fortunate to live in a country like New Zealand and where we can do all that. And yeah, fingers crossed if Finn and I can find some time next year and some we haven't um, annoyed anyone, we might be able to talk to some um, of the leaders going into the election. Yeah, awesome. Um, Super super stoked for election year next year. And thanks um, thanks so much for everyone who's listened and engaged with us today. Um, Really appreciate it. And yeah, hopefully the election next year is um, one that sort of, sets an inspiring narrative for all of New Zealand going forward. Um, and that, you know, it's a, um, it's sort of positive, both, you know, what, what, whatever way it goes in the end, it's, um, it's really positive and um, New Zealand's excited about some of the stuff coming up in the next, in the next decade. Oh, cool. well, thank you very much, Ben. It's been a pleasure. Cool. Awesome. Thanks, Eve.